Nick Oakley. And also any other names you've been known as? Chimp. Who gave you that name, by the way? I would say it was Gary Henson or Mark Jevons. Good stuff. On the way to an ethnic minority gig. (laughs) Was it? (laughs) There you go. Brother going on a London school trip, and I think he bought a sniffing blue fanzine home with him. And obviously he he was the first one to get into punk because he was two years older than me. And I was like a mod skinhead, but who liked punk. And then with Simon's records, I just had to become a punk. So that's how I became a punk. And through John Peel, really, you know, listening to John Peel, it was just a no-brainer, really. Well, in 1978, I was 12 years, 11, 12, and the mod thing was starting in England, the sort of 79 mod thing was starting. So when I was in my last year at Wellsmead School, I was a mod. I had a parker with all the badges, etc. Then when I went to Denby, I became a skinhead for a couple of weeks, but my mum didn't like it. She didn't like the one-eighth skinhead. She started crying when I come home with her one-eighth skinhead. But I had the bomber jacket, the jeans rolled up, everything, and the specials and that were around as well, so that they were kind of influencing me. You before you were around. But then I just switched to punk and stayed punk forever, really, yeah. She always wanted to have girls instead of boys and so me doing my hair and wearing earrings and dyeing my hair and all that, she, she liked it in, in a way. So that's why she accepted it. But I couldn't take it too far because my dad wouldn't like it. He didn't like nose, I didn't ever have my nose pierced or ever have a Mohican or have any tattoos because he would have gone absolutely mental. But dyeing my hair black was right. Putting soap in my hair was all right. Having about six earrings in each ear was all right. And wearing ripped up clothes was all right. And that was as far as I ever took it. All pretty much homemade, yeah. Pretty much homemade. Like I actually had a DIY ethnic minority t-shirt, your band, I remember. I wish I still had it. Right. I, I remember so making I. that, yeah. <laughs> but the other thing is, we don't really have too much money, you know? Any spare money, you'd probably spend on records, you know, buy a couple of singles at the weekend. Right? Yeah. Bit of both, I suppose, yeah. 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 Derwent Drive Youth Club, Pear Tree Bridge Youth Club, and I hardly ever went in the Compass Club for any of the punk gigs that were around in very late, well, late 70s, early 80s, because I, I didn't look old enough, you had to get 18 to get in. So it was Derwent Drive for me, Newport Pagnell Youth Club, Pear Tree Bridge Youth Club, then Saturdays were a big day hanging out down Bletchley Town Centre outside the co-op. And then when they built Central Milton Keynes, we hang outside Virgin Records. I remember Criminal Records, one of the very first shops that even opened in Central Milton Keynes, which sold punk records. And one of my first memories of Central Milton Keynes is seeing Conrad up there with Adam and the Ants on his, on his jacket. Yeah. You know, your band used to play at Derwent Drive Youth Club with Fictitious. Uh, my first punk gig that ever went to was Fictitious at Newport Pagnell Youth Club and uh, Pear Tree Bridge Youth Centre. We finally, I was in a band called Decline and we finally uh, ended up practising and doing gigs. At Pe- Pear Tree Bridge Youth was really a magnet for all punk bands and new wave bands 
and stuff like that across the era. Yeah, I think Dick Emmys was sort of quite yeah. influential, wasn't he? he yeah. Was, yeah, he, yeah. Was, he yeah. was quite good. What bands did I follow? I think Minority and Fictitious were my two big local bands. You know, I say Ethnic Minority were my favourite band yeah. uh, and Fictitious. Really, they were my Clash and my Sex Pistols, really, you know, because... It was 1979, 1980, really, you know. Oh, I was at school, really, for, you know, I was a, for me, punk, I was at school. For, for my magic, magical three or four years of punk, I was at school. And probably the year I left school as well, yeah. Bands like Crass, Discharge, at Roadmenders Club. And I got into The Damned, and I used to follow The Damned around London a lot. So I used to go to London a lot to see bands like The Damned, really, was my you know, at the time, because they were just like uh, colossal giggers, the damned, you know, they never really stopped gigging, ever. Yeah. And I used to have all crass records, but I was also like a damned fan, which was just straight up punk from, you know, original punk. And crass was a, a diversion, really. It was, a, you know, everything about it was, was different, but I sort of um, embraced it all, if I could. Which is not easy at some time, at uh, points, but I tried to embrace it all, really, as much as I could. Fanzines were a, were a big part. If you could go to a gig and pick up a fanzine, you know, there was like, um, in Leighton Buzzard, I, did, I forgot to mention Bossard Hall. I used to go to Bossard Hall a lot. That's the only place I could see bands like UK UKPK play. And uh, you could pick a fanzine up there, you know. Mm. Also, very a very scary venue for me, Bossard Hall. There was always a lot of big older lads there like Oxford Mental Mob were normally there late and buzzard skinheads yeah, sort of soccer thing. casuals mm. on a Saturday coming back from football matches mm. so it was a dangerous it was just so scary I just can't tell you how scary it was for me being a punk because I was tiny you know people didn't even know if I was a boy or a girl you know <laughs> People used to come up to me on a regular basis and say you're a boy or a girl. Well, you were very little and yeah, cute, weren't yeah. you? You're very cute yeah. little uh, little lad. I remember. Yeah. Most oh, teachers were all right about it. I remember my um, PE teacher, Mr. Davis, who was um, strict, dis you know, a disciplinarian, and uh, I was in his lesson, PE lesson, and he, he washed all the soap out of my hair. I think in front of the whole class, sort of thing, in the shower block. He put my head in a in a sink and put and put turned the taps on and washed all the soap out of my hair and, and then washed it or, or, and combed it or something. No, and he was trying to hurt my ears as he was combing. I remember that. But he was a notorious guy. A fanzine coming attack would be the late and buzzard LU7 fanzine. Yeah. yeah, I've got a copy of that. From yeah. I mean, I used to go from Shenley Road to Bletchley train station on a regular basis to, say, get a train to Leighton Buzzard or get a train to London for a gig. And that the scariest part of the whole thing was walking from my house to the train station or even worse, walking from Bletchley train station back to Shenley Road at night. That was the scariest bit of the whole thing. Because if you see a gang of soccer casuals from a Lakes estate or a gang of skinheads, Pretty certain they'd attack you if they'd been drinking. Like, attacked Terry Wright and battered him one night. That was the scariest part of it. I mean, you could be in London at a damn gig or whatever, and that weren't as scary as, as being in Bletchley, you know. Or Leighton Buzzard, we got attacked in Leighton Buzzard as well. I remember Toad had a, a soccer kettle, he broke a bottle of a cider and stuck it in his neck, you know, stuck the sharp bits in his neck and threatened him. 
And like I say, Terry Wright got a real bad kicking off Lakes Estate soccer casuals. Coming back from Columbus Club, I'd say that was, or something like that. Well, in West Bletchley, punks and skinheads weren't really integrated that well, especially in the early days, like all us lot, all the West Bletchley lads who went to Denby School, didn't really get on that well with the skinheads, you know, and if they'd been drinking and, and they, wrong place, wrong time, there's a good chance they'd attack you, you know, without a doubt, without a doubt, you know. That's why these days, when they have these reunions, and I find it hard to hang around with those guys, because back in the day, you know, they, we were polar opposites. I think a lot of it was because a lot of people were crass fans and the, and the Bletchley skinheads were pretty right-wing, really, to be honest, you know? So they just didn't get on. Plus the Falklands War was on, weren't it, you know? They were all supporting the Union Jack. All the crass songs were anti-war. It, no, it just weren't working. It just weren't working. But in Leighton Buzzard, I think the skinheads... And the punks were more integrated, like Chronic Outburst was like a skinhead punk band, weren't it? But and the and Leighton Buzzard skinheads weren't towards the right wing, even though they used to wear the it was weird. They even though that some of them would have Union Jacks and that on their shirts and whatever. I don't think that skinheads and punks were integrated in West Bletchley that well at a certain time. I think by 1984 that most the whole punk scene was a narco by then, like crass had split up. Bands like Discharge weren't gigging so much. It was more like conflict and, and a new scene that, that actually sort of uh, was the beginnings of the new age traveller scene in a lot of ways. Because a lot of punks, I think, by 84, 85, 86, became new age travellers and adopted that kind of lifestyle. And I kind of didn't really go down that road. For me, the energy of punk... I think by the time Conflict had stopped gigging, for me, it had changed. It was a bit more like, for me, it was a bit bohemian, you know? The punk scene was a bit like bands like Chumba Wumba and that came out, didn't they? Sort of 86 and that. And I kind of drifted off from there, really. Kind of drifted away from it. Like I wouldn't buy the records or anything like that, you know? Then you kind of came to Facebook and the Bletchley Punk days. What kind of started that? Going on um, UKDK website is, is what made me start putting the pictures up. And then all of a sudden, so many people were interested in it. It was just... And it is in my heart. It is undoubtedly in my heart. I mean, I don't just do it because, you know, I love it. You know, it is in... Punk is in my heart. It's as simple as that. Even though I drifted away from it. I mean, I don't mind admitting it. But And that's why I did it. It is truly in my heart. Okay, um... It's the best um, relationship you've ever had, you know, in your life that came to an end. You know, a lot of people say 76, 77, punks who were actually there in 76, 77. By 78, for them, it had changed too much, you know. It'd gone a bit, it was too popular, it was too uniform, you know. And, and in the early days, you just did what you want, you know. And for some people, the energy had gone by 78, you know. For me, my, the energy of punk had gone for me by 84, really, because I was a 79, 80, 81, 82 punk, really, you know. When I was 13, 14, all I wanted to do was be a punk. For me, there was nothing else in life. That was it. <laughs> that was it. It was truly what my life was about, you know. And that's it. Actually, being in a garage band, we actually practiced in, in council garages. We used to sort of find council garages 
in West Bletchley that weren't being used, that had electric in them, and practising them, you know, literally, little speaker, little guitar, microphone, half a drum kit or a third of a drum kit, and, and practise it in, in garages. So, And I love um, Gary's Land by The Clash, because I did it. I was there doing it, you know? And it's just such, even though The Clash went commercial or, or whatever, it is such a raw punk rock, you know, it really is, you know. And I think what, I mean, being a punk in 79, 80, 81, 82, people around now need to know how violent those days were, you know. Soccer casuals, British transport police, even other punk gangs, you know. You know, I remember being at Kraskig at the Roadmender. At the, it was absolutely packed to the rafters. I remember the Oxford Mental Mob were there, you know. Things were going on that I can't even talk about at this moment in time, you know. It was that bad. It was that serious. Just on the day, you, you, you just do your best to stay out of trouble, really, on the day, you know. You just sort of play it by ear. But I remember I was very young when Kras played at Roadmender and I went to that gig and I remember walking up to the Roadmender and turning around and actually facing the main entrance of Roadmender Club and just seeing loads of punks sniffing glue out of huge character. I've just never seen anything like it in my life, you know. If you had a cat, if you could have filmed what was going on, what people actually looked like, you know, it, you know, it was just, for me, it was just incredible. Like, I've never seen anything like it in my life, you know. It just stuck with me forever, things like that, you know. If my if I wasn't scared of my dad, I'd have had punk rock tattooed on me on my forehead. You know, I'd have had it tattooed on my hands and and it, and everything without a doubt. It's the only fact I was scared of my dad is the only reason that I you know that's the only reason. Yeah. yeah, I think by those days, by sort of seventy nine eighty, when people were following bands like Crass and Discharge, you had a lot of punks who just drifted from gig to gig. Mm. You know, you'd see them at the gig with a rolled up sleeping bag. I mean, that was like a a stereotypical crass kind of discharge fan at the time, you know, with the rolled up sleeping bag and uh, no fixed abode, you know. Not really, my era really was 81, 80, you know, 80, yeah. 81, 82, you know, when bands like Discharge and Crass mm. were gigging, you know, that kind of era, really. I don't think I actually went to the Wolfson Campus gig because I couldn't get in, they wouldn't let me in. I weren't old enough. I missed out on so any gig that was 18. That was in Milton Keynes, I never ever got into. But then I'd go to Roadmender Club and somehow there's just so many people trying to get in there, you just slipped in there. Mm. Bossard Hall, Leighton Buzzard, mm. I used to go all the gigs there. And London, I get into more gigs in London, you know. And my, another memories I've got is going to the squat gigs in London with you and Dave. Can't quite put a year on that, can you put a year on it? Because they were great times. So it would have been 83, 84 in Vauxhall, sort of. It was um, it was like a in London. There was a new underground punk scene, weren't there? Feminist scene uh, was attached to it, weren't there? Like the Poison Girls kind of era was was there, and uh, yeah, I mean there was a real strong anarcho scene by eighty three, eighty four, weren't there? Conflict exit stance kind of era, you know. Those gigs were 
a lot of people used to go. It was a heavy scene, you know, and you had the narco centre down. And I, I kind of, that's when I started to drift away from it, really, by 84, really. You know, there was a, a big scene going on in 84, but by, by 1984, punk had changed massively, you know. A lot of, like, original punk bands were just finished. The Clash were probably a pop band, you know, had gone poppy. You know, it changed, you know, punk changed, really. By 84, if you was into punk, you was into conflict and things like that, for me, really, you know. But yeah. There was a no man's land between 84 and 88, because rave never come out in the UK until 88. In 87, it didn't exist. 88, I mean, you've got a lot of people who were punk, new wave fans, who got into Acid House, 1988, right when it began, you know, and, and that was like the next, youth culture movement after punk for me and that was probably the end of it there never has been another youth a definitive youth culture movement since really you know if you was a raver you knew what you did you know you knew what it was about you know there was it was black and white you know it really was like punk was in a lot of ways i think a lot of people who were into punk in the early days there's a revolution with the internet now and everything you can you can relive it you know without faking it really you can you can get back into it so hence Bletchley Punk Days exactly yeah yeah. so we we should just explain what Bletchley Punk Days is if you want to just it's just a Facebook page yeah basically it's just scrapbook it's just a digital scrapbook of any picture I can get that's connected to the original Bletchley Punk, um, anyone who was into punk around Bletchley, around Milton Keynes, Leighton Buzzard, really, mm. uh, you know, anything like that. Like. It's really popular. It's got over 500 likes, and all the likes are organic likes. I've never, ever suggested to anyone like this page, ever. I've always just left it organic to see it, and that's how it's grown. And mm. obviously, which grew into new wave, you know, bands like Joy Division, for example, who, who are huge and the whole new wave era which was probably already around talking heads and that they were around when the punks were around but reggae as well you know the whole punk scene most people who liked punk liked reggae jamaican reggae and uh it was hugely popular with us and everybody we knew you know it was like weekday music when it was reggae you know just so you couldn't play punk every night seven nights a week and Bob Marley was around Labrick Grove and all that as well at the time of punk you know and he used to hang around with a lot of people who were in punk bands etc so plus other things as well connected with reggae you know like smoking weed and that so the things that you know reggae was huge with punk people it really was equally these days say you just randomly hear new rows on the radio and you know it just puts adrenaline in your body because you love it from back in the day it's also like that with certain reggae records just take you way back to sitting around in a flat in west bletchley on you know on a weekday night listening to reggae music so it's certainly an integral part of the uh, of the fabric being into Riga, yeah.